Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome to the show. Hey. Hello there. So we've got a great show coming up for you this week. Going to talk a little bit about some of these topics, and the first one has to do with free solar panels. Spoiler alert, they're not really free. But we are going to go into the details of them and talk about some of the programs that are out there. There are some legitimate and some not-so-legitimate things to do. Another interesting bit of news from NASA on Voyager 1. We're going to be talking about that in some detail and looking to see where we are going on the final frontier. So this is all cool stuff. Coming up in a few weeks, we are going to be at the McMinnville UFO Festival. We're going to be posting all these dates on our social media as to when this is. That's going to be a fun one we've been trying to do, and with the disruptions from COVID, haven't been able to for two years. So I'm looking forward to actually seeing that. It'll be a first one for us Yeah. to uh, to get to that. The other thing that's coming up in June is the Sherwood Cruise-In. We're going to be out oh. there looking at historic and modern collector cars. So that one's going to be a lot of fun, too. All right, what do we have in the news this week? Sarcos buying fellow robotics firm RE2 in $100 million deal. 2022 has been called the year of the robots. We've been talking about that, and it seems to be playing out. And there are a number of companies out there. You may or may not have heard of them. If you're in the industry, you almost certainly would have these two. But they build absolutely amazing robotic systems. Sarcos is a company that does things like exoskeletons, stuff for remote work, different things like that that can get into places that you can't. Some really cool technology there. And RE2 Robotics is a company that has been building a different area of autonomous systems, but something that's very compatible that are used for things like putting up bridges, working on buildings, even working underwater. So these two companies getting together actually makes a lot of sense. They just issued a press release about that this week. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of just amazing things coming out of robotics in general. And these are two of the best big players that are out there. Honda's Asimo robot to retire after a 20-year career wowing the public. Yeah, speaking of robots. Yeah, another one. (laughs) This has been another one that's been pretty cool. And uh, first one that I've heard of that's retiring. So that's interesting, you know. Are they just like turning him off? I I have no idea. I don't think he's an AI. I I think he's just a robot. So. You know, it may be a little different from that kind of a standpoint, but whatever the case may be, this is a robot that was originally released, originally shown to us back in 2000, and <laughs> at the time being absolutely a pioneer, and even to this day can do some amazing things. He has the ability to run, hop on one leg, speak sign language using five fingers, and pour coffee into a paper cup from a tumbler, among other things. If you get a Best Buy gift card, on a USB drive in the mall or in the mail, don't plug it into your PC. Okay, so mall, mail, actually this scam has been the mail, but this is something (laughs) to always take into consideration. One way that hackers get in, and this is a much more in-your-face thing, is to get you to plug in their USB drive that has malware or a virus or something on it. And when you plug the drive into your computer, it has a lot less layers of antivirus and other things to go through to be able to get into your computer. And this is something that's been happening that in the mail, hey, it's a free flash drive with a gift card on it. Just plug it in and you can download it. Yeah, right. 
Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even format it. I would just not. Oh, no. Yeah. Don't no. stick it in at all. Just throw it in the garbage. Yeah. And finding, you know, finding rogue flash drives anywhere is just, it's just a bad idea. Maybe well, that's why I kept thinking mall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, these have been left around malls, parking lots, various other things. Some of the bigger companies have had problems over the years where someone will throw them in their parking lot. And somebody picks it up. Oh, someone drew up the flash drive. Let's see what's on it. Uh, uh, yeah. Bad idea. Apple would be forced to allow sideloading and third-party app stores under a new EU law. The Digital Markets Act, or DMA, because we've got to have our acronym in the EU, mm-hmm. is wanting to overhaul a lot of these things. And one of them would be the requirement that Apple would be forced to allow third-party app stores, something that we already have on Android. And the ability to sideload apps, again, something that we already have on Android. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's arguments for and against this. The biggest argument against it is it closes the ecosystem and anything you get for your device that you paid for has to come through Apple and be approved by them. The other side of it is, is having those kind of restrictions on installing software does make it less likely, although not impossible, that you're going to download malware or a virus. It happens. They get through the screening process on both Apple and and Google and all of that have had problems with this, but it is a situation where one way or the other, it's looking like the EU wants to allow it. Tim Cook, the CEO, says sideloading would destroy the security of the iPhone. I don't know if it's quite that bad, but it definitely <laughs> would make it less secure. A locked-in man has been able to communicate in sentences by thought alone. We've talked about cybernetics on this show before. We've seen a lot of that in sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Now we're seeing implanted devices. I have a feeling there might be a lot more of this out there than you actually know. And at the end of the day, the ability to improve one's quality of life is a very positive potential aspect of having this type of thing. And this is an individual that is completely paralyzed. He taught himself to be able to use the device, and when he thinks to it, it's able to interpret his thoughts and allow him to communicate. So I have a question. It, uh, how does this differ from the way um, Stephen Hawking um, communicated? Can you explain that? Stephen Hawking had some motion, and he interacted with a computer that was on his wheelchair. And he was able to do so quite well, but it was not an implanted device. Yeah, th- this guy can't move. Can't, can't yeah, I know. Can't I, I, well, it didn't look like Stephen Hawking didn't really move either. Oh, yeah. I was trying to put forth the idea that this these two things are different. Yes. Yeah, these two two things are different because of the way that they work. Yeah. And both both of them are similar in the idea that they improve one's quality of life, allow for communication, but this really does kind of take it to the next level and that you don't have to have any physical interaction in order to make it work. And it seems to be working quite well. And I think this is the beginning of a lot of these different type of things. And cybernetics are one of those topics that can be used for good and can be used for bad, of course. Mm-hmm. The idea of it's scary, we're going to implant chips into somebody to control them or something. I I don't know. I From pop culture, I'd have to call that the Winter Soldier Syndrome. That mm-hmm. you could be uh, yeah. triggered to do something that's not in your will. Or you know? General Order 66. Yeah, that would be another oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but uh, on a positive standpoint, we're looking at this kind of technology being able to be used in a way that it can allow you to walk if you couldn't. So if you've been in an accident and been paralyzed, or in this case, are completely paralyzed, you're still able to communicate and interact and that type of a thing, which we all, you know, we take that for granted in many ways. But if you don't have those abilities, 
and are able to have something that gets them back, even in a small way, it could be absolutely amazing. And we're seeing this type of technology out there. They're having the ability to get things like cybernetic eyes. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked about some of that in the past with some of the technology becoming obsolete, but these exist that allow you to be able to see where before you couldn't. It may not be as good as 2020 vision, but it's still better than being completely blind, you know, that type of a thing. So I think we are definitely going in a direction here that is going to be very interesting, let's just say, to see how this plays out. Mm -hmm. Stephen Wilhite, creator of the graphic GIF, GIF, I don't know, Uh, he has died. Yes. So this was originally made for CompuServe. And uh, he uh, worked, I haven't heard that name in a long yep, time. Yep. Oh. <laughs> he, he worked on this on this in the 1980s. He absolutely brilliant person. And this format it stands by the way for graphics interchange format. Interchange. And this format is something that we take very much for granted with the internet today. We turn on a web browser, can look at pictures, but if it was not for this, we wouldn't have that kind of capability. It would be text. And that's where this took the ability to actually see graphics and video and stuff like that on the internet. This is where it all started. And this individual put it together. They needed a way to be able to transmit graphics quickly in an environment at that time that would be considered glacial today's internet speeds. Oh, yeah. Dial up and not even high speed dial up in some cases. And he Hmm. made it work and he made it work very well. I mean, something that's still used to this day. Now, in answer to a question that's actually asked about this, is it GIF or GIF? And there actually is an answer to this. He filled us in on a while back. It's GIF. So a soft, yeah. a soft J. That's how you are supposed to pronounce it. The uh, Oxford English Dictionary accepts both pronunciations, but in an interview with the New York Times, he was very straightforward on the fact it's a soft G. Okay. So our back social network looks to lure older users from Facebook. Yeah, we've got a couple of social network ideas coming out here from some different places. In fact, I think we're going to need to go into this as a topic in the future when we have time, because it is an interesting thing what's happening with Facebook and all of that, because we are out of time right now. But we will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Jeremy and Gretchen, your opinion on things. How do you like the idea of paying for all of your software monthly? Nope. No. I don't like it. Not one bit. Nope. <laughs> and I thought you were going to say you loved it. You liked writing that check every month. Uh, although it's, of course, automatic. They wouldn't take a check. But um, anyway. Yeah, yeah no. no I, 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 would never, I would never do that. Not for not for software that I've already purchased. Subscriptions are the new rage, and they have—I shouldn't say new. This has been around for a while now, but it's the way more and more software companies are going on reselling their software. And in some cases, it's good; in some cases, it's not. Now, my feeling on this, and I just offer this as my opinion, is most of the software I buy, I just want to buy it. Yeah, there yeah, are absolutely. Few, you know, there, there there are a few things out there that this would be an exception. Now, I think you guys will probably disagree with me on this, but one of them I do like having as an option on a subscription is the Adobe products. Oh, see, I've never found that to be a good idea because, I mean, okay, yeah, if their ser- services are down and the internet's at down, 
I can't work. Yeah, yeah well, you have that problem. You it. also can't work. The internet being down is one thing. Although I do notice on the new versions of both the Adobe Suite and the Office Suite, they've actually set them up now so that they will work offline. That's nice. So that that has been a big complaint, which is one that the software companies are seeming to address. The reason why I say I'm okay with that is because your Adobe software suite. So if you got what what is a creative group or whatever they call it, mm-hmm. um, the creative studio, creative studio. If you buy that whole thing outright, you're in the thousands of dollars. And that's going to be a barrier to entry to a lot of artists because a lot of artists use this kind of a thing or really anybody that's in the business that needs it. They can't pony that up up front. So maybe paying 30, 50 bucks a month under those circumstances to get just what you need makes sense to have that as an option. I just don't think it should be the only option. Right. I, I, I'm sorry. I think 30 to 50 bucks a month is a lot of money unless you're in a business making serious funds. Well, and that's been, if you had the serious funds, arguably you would buy it outright. But I guess where I'm going with this is let's say you're starting a business and you have limited resources. Mm. And you get out there and you need Adobe Photoshop. Adobe Photoshop's, what is it, five, six hundred bucks just to buy that. Mm. Or you can put out 30 bucks. It's a little less painful. You have a legal license to use it. If you don't need it after two months, then you haven't spent the whole amount of money. Now, most of the time, and the software companies know this, you actually will spend more than what you would to buy it to have it on the subscription. So yeah, see that's that's the part that bugs me more. Yeah, and it's and like yeah. I say, there are there are certain things. I, I in picking it's on, like getting a bad car loan. Yeah, well, yeah, and picking on titles with this, it's the difference between a lease and buying to use that analogy. Mm-hmm. And, and there are arguments for and against both. But the thing of it is, is at the end of the day, and picking on software, um, one that I use is QuickBooks for my business, and mm-hmm. they're constantly oh, do a monthly subscription for QuickBooks online. No, I bought it. I bought my first copy of it in 2014. I used it for six years. And then I upgraded because I wanted the ability for my clients to pay online, which was a new feature worth getting. So I bought the new copy of it in 2020. And I'm still using it today. So I've actually spent less than I would have on the subscription. And I'm fine with that. See, to me, it it seems like they don't understand customer loyalty. Um, Like, we've been using Photoshop products for like over 20 years. And it's because it's a good product. And for me to nickel and dime me to death like that, that, that right there is making me go, Oh, maybe I should be looking for another product. So let me ask you on that. How did you pay for it? Well, originally, uh, my parents bought it for me when I was getting out of, uh, out of my, my college classes. Okay. Like he's, he, and he when was, I was in doing a, a graphic students. design as a graphic design student. I used the free software at school, uh, when I could. But then I also used the, the, you know, bought a student version at the time. And then later, you know, I, I just ponied the money together to buy a suite. Right. Okay. So, but I've been, I've been using Adobe products since 98. Yeah. You would be the longest of all of us. Know? I've been using them for a long time myself, but not as long as you. You had them on your original Mac and stuff. Yeah. And I know so, we're going back there, but that, that's the question that I'm asking with it because when you're in school, there's educational versions. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and they offer discounts for military and things like that as well. Usually, I, but. I had an AutoCAD that was a, a student version right. for a while, too. But getting, getting out of that and getting into a professional, you're starting a business, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just the argument for or against. And, you well, know, the, other, the other argument would be to find the, the competitive software that's free. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. But, Jeremy, you know, you and I once had a very uh, colorful conversation about that. 
The equivalent <laughs> of the free version of Photoshop is something called the GIMP. Uh-huh. And yeah. it is totally free. It's like open office to Word or anything like that. But I know you hated it. Yeah, well, I don't remember it anymore. <laughs> I, don't remember. I don't remember it anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, I, remember, I remember some very, um, let's just say George Carlin's list of what you can't say on the Oh, okay. <laughs> so, well, maybe. <laughs> so anyway, what, uh, and where we're going That's with- the way I feel about the Microsoft. There was a Microsoft Word thing that you were, it came with the computer and it was garbage. And it's like, I, it was so horrible that I actually went and got Open Office right. because so I just didn't want to deal with it. There are two versions of that. There's Office 365, which is your normal Word, uh-huh. uh, just paid for on a subscription. Then you you can still buy regular Word, just buy it. Uh-huh. You do the monthly subscription. And then there's a third one, which is the air quotes free one that sometimes comes with computers, which is like this online kind of toned down version of it, which I agree with you is is just like, I would almost be embarrassed to publish that, but that's my opinion. Uh, as a software designer, there are certain things you don't do. Well, anyway, where we're going with this is the whole <laughs> software as a service thing, which is obviously a spirited topic of debate. Apple, spirited, yes. <laughs> Apple computer wants to take this a step further. And, and they run... want to start doing something called hardware as a service. Oh. No. Uh, I don't want... No, no, no. I'm not no. renting. I'm not renting my laptop. So Sorry. Are you, are, are you sure about that? They want to start it with the iPhone. And what they're talking about doing... Okay, it's a good thing fee. I'm not using Apple. <laughs> yes, they, you pay a monthly fee, and that monthly fee would be the cost of the actual phone, so you don't pay anything for it outside of the monthly subscription, the software on it, and on and on. So, you know, that's a direction where that's going. Hardware as a service is something that I've heard of before, mm-hmm. but it's one of those things that I haven't really seen in a lot of things. Now, I think for higher-end things, one product that I'm working with with one of my clients runs $90,000 a piece. It's a piece of hardware. So offering that as hardware as a service kind of makes sense that you would essentially lease it. Plus, yeah. it's an item that's a prototype right now, so there's going to be updates and stuff that you wouldn't want to necessarily. That's like leasing a big tractor that you're only going to use to dig a big hole for about a month. Right, right. Yeah, this particular uh, your, product. Your would... laptop is your your everyday piece of equipment. Your phone is an everyday piece of equipment. Nah, I don't want to. Le- I'm not renting it. I don't want to lease it. I just yeah. I'm going to buy it. And, and, I'm going to use and we it all and then know, replace it later. And we all know what it was like to lease those um, those boxes from the cable company. Yep. Oh, they st- we talked about that recently too. They still. Yeah. It's actually technically illegal now uh, from the FCC, so they've just decided to call it something else, and you still mm-hmm. have to pay a monthly rental fee. But yep. in any event, yeah, no, that's there. That's definitely different. So let's get the conversation going. Let us know what you think. Would you subscribe to your phone, like literally, even the hardware, mm, or do you no. want to be able to buy it? Let us know. One user friendly on Facebook, userfriendlyshow.com. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. A bit of a spirited conversation. Their last segment on Mm-mm. renting software, <laughs> well, software as a service, hardware as a service. So, anyway, but please do let us know. One user friendly on Facebook. One user friendly on Twitter. Userfriendlyshow.com. Best way to get a hold of us. Send us your questions and your comments. And we're going to be doing a special Q and A section in the next segment. This is when we'd normally do it. 
uh, talking about a topic that we've had a lot of input on. So stay tuned for that. I'll leave it a secret until we get there. But the one thing I want to talk about is an interesting news piece that's been out this week, and it has to do with NASA's Voyager 1. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. You know, okay. so Voyager 1 launched in 1977, and it was the first spacecraft to get out of our solar system into interstellar space. And this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. It was huge. First human-made object. The fact of the matter is, at the time that happened, they were very surprised that that was even, you know, something where it would still run. So sometimes when things are well-made, I mean, I've had the same things with cars that haven't been run for a while and that type of thing, you find that they do things that surprise you. And one of the things that was just found out about is they needed to fire up the thrusters to do a slight course correction. Since we can still talk to Voyager 1, they're still getting a lot of scientific data back, some absolutely amazing things that we never thought we'd have access to. And they had thrusters on there that they haven't used since 1980, three years after <laughs> it was launched. Yeah, so, you know, think cool. about it. If you have a car parked in your garage and you haven't, you know, you know that it still operates. You've had that interaction, just to be fair to this, but you don't really, you haven't run it. There's certain aspects of it that haven't been used since then. And you went and turned the key. What do you think is going to happen, right? So in this yeah, case. Yeah, nothing here. <laughs> in this case, Voyager 1's response was okay. And it did exactly what it needed to do. Took Which 19 really hours cool. to get the signal back that it did it. <laughs> now, I think, still I still think that's amazing because uh, it's out of our solar system. How far exactly is it? Exactly. 13 billion, 142 million, 361. Uh, I won't do the data thing here anymore because I don't actually know, but it's about 13 billion miles away. And, that's crazy. And, and, and this signal traveled there in 19 hours? Yeah, 19 hours. That's Actually, that's really amazing. So I think is. that's amazing. Radio signals are fast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I you know, because if you watch any of the old sci-fi stuff, oh, it's like, yeah. oh, you have to go to sleep for years before anything, you know, and, 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 and messages will take forever. And But this is 19 hours. Yeah. yeah and I mean, it's outside of our solar system. That's so cool. It's been, it's been <laughs> a neat thing, too, because, you know, and this is kudos back to the engineering team at NASA and everybody else that was involved in building Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, which is also doing the same thing. It's just mm-hmm. a little closer to us because it uh, was launched later, but it's reacting the same way. It still works and all of that kind of thing. And there were all these things, well, Voyager will stop talking to us at this point, so we're going to try to get as much information as we can and blah, blah, blah. In fact, I think Star Trek created a movie or something based around that it had gone out, become an AI, and then came back or something. Yeah, that was the first movie. Yeah, so, you know, as far as... Yeah, V'ger. The motion and, picture. And they, yeah. they called it V'ger. Yeah, because the side of the ship got smudged. Ah, uh, okay. Well, in any event, that being neither here nor there, but the point <laughs> of it being is this has been something of pop culture as well for a long time. But right. yes, they both still work. Voyager 2, they're planning more tests. But I can only imagine, as a scientist myself, waiting 19 hours to get information you want back i mean that would be very difficult to do uh, you know it's like one of those things like being a little kid oh why is time moving so slowly you know <laughs> uh-huh. yeah but so uh, um are now do you think um according to the article are they going to um are they going to get pictures back or or can they get pictures back or anything pictures straight up no as far as i know that the imaging array on on that does not work anymore However, it has all kinds of other instruments for doing 
radio imaging and other things like that, and that does still work. That's what they're using. Cool. In fact, there was an article detailing this on NASA's press page a while back that the Voyager turned around and took its last picture of home. Oh, uh, and This was yeah. a number of years ago, and then the camera system was shut down. I think part of it wasn't a malfunction as much as it was not having power to run it anymore. Right. And, okay. You know, so from that standpoint, a choice had to be made. And the choice that was made was obviously a good one because what is working is still there. And what is working is amazing because we have nothing else out there. This is real data, not something from a movie, but what is actually in interstellar space. And again, is the first human-made object to be there. Yeah. So cool. So I just, I just think it's absolutely amazing. (laughs) We've been talking NASA a little bit here, but I look at this stuff and it's just incredible to see what actually can be done. All right. This is user friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we give you answers. 503-766-6264 is our phone number, one user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter, userfriendlyshow.com. And by the way, on that front, we are going to have a new website launching later this year. We've had a great one, but believe it or not, the show has been running since 2016, and so is the website. And in computer years, that's dead. So it's time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So we've got one question this week that came in, and this is actually something I've seen quite a bit, but as we're getting back into the spring now and life is starting to have a little bit of a return to normal, a lot of people are looking at the idea of fixing up and improving their homes. And we've been talking about climate change. So on that front, a lot of people are looking at how can we help with that? So the question is, are free solar panels really free? So what That's this, a really good question. Yeah, and, and then are they worth it? Are they worth it? That's the other part of it. So what this is referring to is there's a lot of ads. If you haven't seen one, you're in the minority, that you can get free solar panels. Just call this number, fill out this form, and the way they make it sound like, they'll be beamed onto your roof the next morning. <laughs> kind of. So I can, I can tell you for sure that won't happen. But um, <laughs> it's what it is is a situation where you do want to be careful. And like anything else in the world, there are all kinds of people trying to scam you. Now, not everybody that's offering the, quote, air quotes, free solar panels is trying to scam you, but some of them definitely are flat out that. The more legitimate ones go into a lot more detail when you look at the programs that they're offering, that type of a thing. And the first part of it is, is that as far as we have been able to research, there is no such thing as a government program that pays for solar panels. Oh, that's interesting because oh, I kept running okay. across things that were saying that it was real. Yeah, Me it's, too. It's That's one of the things that if you see that where it's completely free, that's not the case. There are discounts and there are rebates and other things that the governments do offer. They run between 10 and 18% of the total installation costs. But you want to be careful of that because it's definitely not 100%. And this brings to where you really need to read through this. There's a couple of different ways they do this. One of them is, and this is the one that I would avoid the most, it's it's considered legitimate because they're upfront about it, and if it's what you agree to and you're okay with it, then that's fine. But the first one is, is that the company puts the solar panels on your roof, but they own them. 
So at the end of the day, there is no upfront cost usually with those type of programs. And they're essentially putting a power station on your roof and then selling you the power it creates. <laughs> so that's one way to look at it. Okay, so wow, hey, that's a great idea. I'm 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 going to rent my property, but never reap any of the benefits. Yeah, yeah, Mm. that's exactly what it is. And it's a a power purchase agreement is what they call these, or a solar lease. And Mm. this type of a situation would be the least beneficial because you're not going to get to a point that you even could actually own this outright until well after the warranty runs out. And we all know what happens when a warranty runs out. So. That's okay. Well, I, one. I think this whole topic has upset the cat. She's now making noise. Yes, yes. The <laughs> cat is concerned about this too. So, you know, Studio such ball. that it is. All right. So the next one is, and this is more the way that you probably would end up doing it is doing financing. So you're either financing against your house's equity, or you're taking out a loan or something along those lines. So the 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 upfront cost of just buying these things straight out is about fifteen thousand dollars or more, depending on what it wow. is. That so is you, pretty you good. figure that's what you're actually financing, okay? So uh-huh. for that one, you would qualify for the federal solar investment tax credit. And again, 18% up to 26% of the cost can be offset using that program. If you do it where they put the system on your roof and s- sell you the power, they actually also get the rebate because they own the system. So oh, nice. So where that is. Now, if you can afford to do it and paying for it up front, like with most things, is kind of the best way to go. You would still get the credit. You wouldn't have a monthly payment. Does it lower your monthly electrical bill? Well, the answer to that is yes, it would, because you're generating power, so you're not having to pay for the grid. And in some cases, and this can vary from place to place, depending on where you are and all of that type of stuff, you could even sell power back to the grid. Mm. So depending on what you're doing, that may make some sense, too. So you want to look at that over the life of the system and all that kind of stuff. So if you have a $100 a month power bill, and you're looking at how this would work. So let's say, um, well, let's do some averages here. You have a $100 a month power bill, and you want to have payments, and you want to save the actual electrical bill against the cost of financing. That's where you would do the comparison to see if this is going to make sense. In all likelihood, the financing costs is going to exceed the cost of the power bill, so you'll be paying a little bit more out. But if you're on a lead or on a loan, You'll eventually own your equipment, so you do get equity for that from that standpoint, too. So uh, we've got a few more questions on this here, so I think we're going to go a little bit longer than our our normal five minute here just to be able to address some of this. Okay, yeah. The next one is is a claim that's made is solar panels have been shown to add $25,000 of value to your home. Hmm. Okay, so this is considered to be one of the most directly misleading claims on the advertisement. (laughs) I would would have to agree because usually... It's your kitchen or your master bath or, you know, uh, structural things that seem to do that. Yep. Yep. It's a, well, kitchens and baths usually sell houses anyway. I mean, that's yeah. nothing unusual about that. But the thing of it is here, if you're leasing the system, that can actually complicate your home sale because yeah. your buyer yeah. will be willing to assume the lease and all kinds of other things. If you own it and it's financed, it does make it a little bit easier because then with part of the sale of the house, you could pay off hopefully the financing. You're not upside down. But the thing of it is, is at the end of the day, it is something to take into consideration. Now, if you own the system outright and it is installed and working and still has warranty and all that kind of stuff left, you probably are going to see additional equity in your home from having the system. But that, of course, is completely the other end of this 
type of a thing. Some of the other things to look into with this too is zero down payment that definitely does exist and that can be legitimate depending on what you're doing. If you do a loan form with zero down, that type of a thing. And also where you live because local rules and laws and all that kind of stuff will play into this. Things like your property tax exemption, some places offer that depending on where you are. The renewable energy credits in qualifying states. A lot of utility companies will offer rebates. So that's another option too. And then all of that can play into your home value. So this is really just a quick review of this, but it's definitely a good question and is something to take into consideration. Basically, at the end of the day, read the fine print. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. As always, great show this week. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. I think that whole thing with Voyager is just cool. It's it's just neat it to is. see that that's still out there and we can still talk to it and everything is still working, you know? But uh, now to come back to Earth a little bit and go into a, our world on the pop culture side that makes sense, Gretchen, I hear you got a jetpack. Yeah, I got a Sabine uh, Ren jetpack. And um, I, I'd, I've been, you know, fussing and fretting over this for a couple of years because I've been working on a Mandalorian costume. And I finally decided instead of trying to beat my head against the wall and try to build it myself. Well, there's all these wonderful people on, th- you know, places like Etsy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a, a fellow cosplayer. Um, you know, he's been showing what he's been working on and helping his friends on Instagram. So I finally asked him, you know, where did you get this? You know, where and how? And so he gave a suggestion and I finally, I ordered it from this, um, person on Etsy who did a 3D print and I really like it. Uh, I'm already starting on the process to start sanding it to get it prepared so that we can prime it and paint it. But um, it's really saved a lot of headache and heartache. Let the professionals do their thing. So this is a jetpack that looks nice. It's part of a costume, but you can't really fly in it. Well, no, it, it's from a cartoon, yeah. yeah no, no, no. So, uh, I mean, as somebody that would have a real jetpack is kind of like, well, let's just say it, you know, upstairs. Um, Upstairs? Yeah, oh, okay. One, one, of the, one of those that overlook the rest of us. Oh. But, uh, well, literally. Because well, that's they're because they're flying around, around in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they have their I think it would be great to have a jetpack like that that worked. Yep. But, you know, at, at this point, I just have to be happy with make-believe. And it's part of the costume. You know, with the, with the Comic-Cons coming back and all that kind of stuff, getting back into the cosplay thing is definitely something I'm look for, looking forward to do. We had our first Comic-Con in a long time last December, Emerald City, which was a lot of fun. Still mm-hmm. had the mask mandate, so it did limit a little bit what you could do. Going yeah. forward, that's hopefully going to be a thing of the past. And when it is, we can get back into the full cosplay. So this sounds like a lot of fun. So when do we get to see this costume? Well, I was hoping to have it ready for uh, the McMinnville event, okay. you know, the UFO thing. But I don't think it uh, it's going to be ready. I might have... Uh, the lower part of the costume and the upper, upper part of the costume done. 
right. I'm missing the breastplate plate and the back plate. So I would be a partial Mandalorian. <laughs> hey, you know, you're getting there. You got to start somewhere, right? So, all right, well, listen, that sounds great. And that is an upcoming event. We're going to be posting our upcoming events on social media here in a little bit with the dates and times. And until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014-2022, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeirdTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.